All right, Ridge Runners, we're here for another trail talk. Um, we're going to sit down here with Michael and Wes, and we're going to talk about the Shawnee 50, and we're going to talk about it from the perspective of both the race director and a participant. Um, so hopefully you enjoy the sh show today, and we're going to jump right in. Let's start with what leads up to a race of this magnitude and what it takes to, to host. Yeah, so I talked about this with a lot of people you know leading up to this about just like how this journey this concept was eight years in the works um the, the whole idea of the shawnee 50 or you know several years ago it was just a 50 mile race at the shawnee forest um it, it started eight years ago when i first sort of like was was getting into uh race directing and you know even before that when i first visited uh, the Shawnee Forest, I immediately fell in love with it. So I went to school at Shawnee State University, started in 2007, and I was brought out there with the team coaches. And that was my first trail running experience ever. Um, and so I immediately was captivated by just the magnitude of the Shawnee Forest. Um, and then later, uh, throughout my four years at Shawnee, I uh, started discovering the forest. Uh, and every run was just like this new discovery. Uh, trail running became a very important part of my running life, um, not just from like racing or whatnot, but just from like a mental uh, clarification. It was just like the Wednesdays, the day we went out to the trails was like our escape from college or the city, um, our, our day to get out on the trails. And you know, not everyone from the team took to the trails. There was a, there was a core group of us that went out there weekly. Um, by the time I was a junior or senior, I was going out there three, four or five times a week. Um, and, you know, as I was increasing my trail time, I was getting faster too. So it was like all these just positive emotions, um, result of the Shawnee forest. Um, and then as I started figuring out that there were these long trail races is when I started thinking like, there's no trail race at the Shawnee forest. And, uh, really that, that kind of was crazy to me that there was no race of distance out there. Um, even, even a short distance out there. Um, and that's kind of when the first idea was sparked. And this was probably 2009, 2010 when, you know, even well before I was graduated from college, um, well before I was a race director, uh, this idea at least at some very small level was sparked in my head where uh, I was like, wow, there needs to be a race out here. And then there was in 2010, uh, summer, early summer, my friend, two friends and I ran the 40 mile backpack trail at the Shawnee forest for my friend's bachelor party. That's what he wanted to do. Um, Not the choice of most people. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, just like we'd always, the 40 mile backpack trail is a very central part of the forest. And I, I forget how it kind of developed, but we were like, let's, let's just do the whole thing one day. And it, it was like all of our longest run. I was, I never ran an ultra marathon at this point. I was still competing in college. Um, we had like, it was, right after the season so if we had the time and the freedom to do that but um that experience was really monumental in my life as well just like first time running 40 miles for one but also like doing the entire forest basically in one loop um and then in 2011 the year i graduated from college i actually put in permits to to host a 50 mile race at the shawnee forest i talked to the forest managers the park managers and 
this 20, you know, 22 year old kid right out of college just had this grandiose idea of, of like putting on a race just because I was super passionate about it. You know, before I even was able to like open up registration, I came to the realization it's like, I'm not skilled at race directing at this point. I don't have the connections with, you know, just the general community of runners to have the volunteers, the participants. And that really just kind of set in motion, to be honest, um, kind of the where I'm at today with uh, race directing. I went to grad school for recreation management with a focus in event management. All, all the while, just having this idea in my head that I wanted to put on a 50-mile race at the Shawnee Forest, um, purely out of the beginning of just like being passionate about this place um, and and then also later being passionate about showcasing this place to other people because it was it's such an it still is it's going to be a little bit more now that the race happened but it's still just such an unknown mecca gym of of trails and and terrain just such a rugged place and so in 2014 uh, i started seotr with this uh, goal of of hosting races through this nonprofit. And we started off with the Iron Furnace Trail Run, which is a half marathon. It's going on year six now. Then the Thunder Bunny 50K, which is our first like sort of step up to ultra marathon distance. Um, but I think in you know deep down, kind of in the back of my head, it was all to set up putting the pieces in place to put on a race at the Shawnee Forest. And uh, last year, 2017, we had the permits in as well. Um, and even had like the date set and everything. And then my wife and I realized that we were, or, uh, got the news that we were expecting our second child in about that same time that the race is going to plan, you know, plan on taking place. Uh, so I nixed the idea for 2017 cause I didn't want to have like any conflict with, uh, having a new, a new kid or, or like coming early and, and messing up the date. Cause I had past experience with that happening with another race. Um, when our, when our daughter was born early, <laughs> four days before a race, and I just didn't want to deal with that. So pushed that to 2018, which was kind of a blessing in disguise because it gave me and, and some of the people that helped uh, from the very beginning a full year and a half or almost two years of, of planning. We made sure everything was kind of in place. And it was really nice having like that added year of, of like getting the logistics squared away um, to get to the point where it was – everything was going to be smooth. And so the whole concept of the Shawnee 50 kind of like, you know, looking at it from eight years ago was just generated from not just my passion for the Shawnee forest, but like there's so many people that I'm close to that I've had the pleasure of like introducing the Shawnee forest to, um, of just really being passionate about that location and just how like, big it is it's the largest state forest and just every run you can you know i i've been i've ran thousands of miles at the shawnee forest and i still come away with this feeling of refreshment even though like the the terrain's hard and it's a mental and physically challenging I, I come away from it refreshed every time with this epic experience under my belt um and and the goal for the shawnee 50 was just to give other people you know hopefully introduce them to that location and hopefully they have similar epic experiences at the Shawnee forest. It sounds like from the uh, comments from the finishers that it indeed was a rather epic race for many of them, many of them first 50, 50 milers. And, um, some people, you know, coming in near the top of what you were expecting. Um, let's move into the week of the race, kind of what, what goes into 
putting the race on during that week? Like what, what events have to happen? What, what tasks have to be completed? Yeah. I mean, race, you know, race directing, there's, there's this sort of like timeline of events that happen. You know, you've got from basically the planning period to the permit process, the registration, and then there's kind of a law just waiting on registration, but you're, you're kind of getting the pieces in place. Um, but then like the week of the race, week and a half of the race, there's just like so much that happens just from organizing all the food because you can't buy the food too much in advance um, if it's perishable. Um, so, you know, I, we made, uh, several of us made grocery trips, uh, stored it, um, getting this, uh, my buddy, Joe Stewart, who was really instrumental in this process, uh, let us use a 12 foot trailer. He brought it to my house to where I have all the race stuff stored, loaded it, organized it, got it in like, you know, all the aid stations had their own separate totes. All the aid stations had their separate food divvied up supplies, equipment, um, divvied up and that's the sort of a long process and then just getting to the race site uh marking the it's basically uh the course is set up to where it's mostly a loop so it's 47 unique miles that has to be marked uh wesley and i actually marked a good chunk of it on uh, the week before which was which was really nice and then I, basically uh me and my buddy reese who lives in portsmouth still uh helped uh mark the 38 remaining miles of the trail so that's that's basically a full two days you know i, I sort of did the calculation if you're co if you're course marking at an average of 20 to 25 minutes per mile for 47 miles uh it's like 20 hours <laughs> so like you know you're guaranteed to get some mileage or time and, and stuff out there um and then the day before you have to focus on the participants which is the number one focus uh, to make them have a good experience um, from the time they get to the city that the race is in. Uh, this case, it's Portsmouth. Uh, it's getting out to the race site, to the race start, till the end, till the day after, or whatnot. If there's post race stuff, uh, it has to be a very smooth process to make it a good experience. Um, and so, as long as you've got the whole setup in, in place, that's the goal. Uh, you can focus completely onto the participants. Um, and there's always things that come up, obviously, from a race uh, management standpoint. But uh, I think we did pretty well um, with that part. Wesley, you helped out a little bit. you have anything to add with, with the setup? Uh, yeah, no, I think it was pretty great, obviously. I mean, the course markings were pretty awesome. I mean, there was, like, never really any doubt when I was out there. I mean, I kind of know the course a little bit after running it a couple times. But, uh, yeah, it was pretty smooth. Yeah, Cool. Let's talk about, um, let's get into the race a little bit for Wesley here. Um, does this race have any special meaning to you beyond just needing a finish for the year? Or? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I would, I would definitely say so. I mean, this race, uh, I've known about it, obviously, for about a year and a half now. And I was super interested in this race, just definitely because, like, this race is the hardest 50-miler in Ohio by far. I mean, with 11,000 feet of vert over the course of 54 miles, it's just super tough. I was uh, lucky enough that Michael convinced me to come out and run the course with him in January, despite being <laughs> out of shape. I was uh, a month before I ran my uh, first 100 miler. And right after that, I took basically up until the holidays off of running. I ran like a half marathon, in, like January 1st. And then and that basically was, that was yeah. it. And that was really cool for just the entire race that, you know, for, for maybe 50 and 100 mile races, if not not that many people actually ran the entire course. Uh, and that was really cool back in January 
you know, a full 10 months before the race started, you, myself, and Travis Zipfel and Mike Cooper ran the entire course. Uh, you know, so we had it charted, we had it GPSed. Uh, we, we were able to see the specs of the race and just sort of see how it flowed too, you yeah. know, which is, I think, uh, like I've now ran all my courses, obviously. Um, it's easier with the shorter courses, but. Um, I'm glad I had a chance to run the Shawnee 50 course, uh, especially with, with a group of guys. Um, and that sort of boosted the excitement because you were into it. Yeah. Uh, Coop and, and Zipfell was into it and they were, they're like, that's, that's kind of free marketing, obviously. Like, yeah. <laughs> when, when like you post a Strava and you, and you get like all the followers liking and, and commenting on the, this crazy idea of, of a 50 mile race in, in Ohio with 11,000 feet of vert, uh, definitely had a lot of traction early mm -hmm. um so from like a marketing standpoint on my end like that was like good job guys <laughs> <laughs> yeah no it was awesome and like uh seth miller also joined us for a bunch of miles that day and, and then joe stewart yeah. as well so right. it was a awesome day back then but and, and that's something to talk about too is um in the meantime from those eight years i've i've hosted this sort of uh, no frills no competition no organize organized uh I guess it would be called a fat ass in the ultra running lingo um, run at the Shawnee forest. It's uh, for five years now. We call it the convenient adventure, which was a term coined by my friend Reese when, when we were doing that 40 mile run in 2010 uh, about how we didn't need to take this crazy trip to find an adventure. It was a convenient adventure because it was right in our back, you know, out our back door. Um, and so I've started this thing every, it's, it's either like in, in a December, beginning of January, where, uh, I'll, I'll just throw out like a, a closed Facebook group to anyone interested in meeting at the Shawnee forest for a big long run. So that's the, when we did the 54 mile run, that was the last year's version of it. We've done the 20 mile loops. We've done 30 mile loops. We've done even shorter loops, um, for the convenient adventure. So that's something we're going to keep, um, to keep it normal for, for me, especially, uh, give me a chance each year to sort of like have this day to run in the forest with my friends. Uh, so the convenient adventure was sort of like the Shawnee 50 before the Shawnee 50. Yeah. Um, yeah, it wasn't a race. No one really competed. Um, but we were able to sort of put in a long effort with Bert, uh, mostly loop style yeah. uh, at the Shawnee forest. And most of us took our time out there. Obviously we basically just did it like super easy pace. Like even me, like not being in shape at all at the time <laughs> was able to keep up with these guys because they were going slow. And must have been like, somewhat fast because you ran. <laughs> <laughs> no, we'll get there. But uh, yeah, they luckily enough went slow enough for me to keep up with that. What I thought was a super slow pace at the time, but yeah. later did I find out, but yeah. yeah we had uh, several breaks like where we sat down and like, Ate, ate a bunch of stuff and food, took yeah. pictures and yeah it was, it was a fun time but, it was fun uh a couple weeks back i mentioned this in the other trail talk that before grindstone 100 i went out to the shawnee forest and did a 50 mile run solo there and uh i captured about like 85 percent of the course i know that i missed about three big climbs and one of the biggest climbs i guess spec wise mm -hmm. but uh yeah so i've been really just drawn into the shawnee forest and the idea of the shawnee 50 since obviously running the course back in january like any chance i have to get out there now it's almost like i have to take it so when i realized that I should, hey i should do a 50 miler before grindstone it was there was no really doubt in my mind that hey it has to be at the shawnee 50 because i know it'll be tough they'll be have the vert and just be and, and that's and that's something from my perspective that gets me really excited that like someone like wes 
is is equally as passionate about the shiny forest as I am. And and it's something I sometimes have the tendency to push on people too much. It's like, I need you to like the forest as much as I do. Um, but it's, it, it never works out that way. It has to be an authentic kind of like personal intrinsic, you know, like connection, like what Wes has experienced, you know, several of my friends have had that experience, but uh, yeah, you know, it's not for everyone. Um, it's such, it, it really strips you raw. Like when you go there and you get stuck and you start realizing, you know, you might be 13 miles into a run and you think you're on the same trail or same hill as you were in mile one. It, it really just like, there's been times where I've been out there, even knowing the trails as well as I do, where I've gotten turned around and I don't know where I'm at. And it's like, wow, like this place really keeps you on your toes, you mm-hmm. know? Um, and it's not for everyone, Leah. Like it's, it's not a beginner's race, even though it, it was amazing. There was so many first time, uh, 50 milers competing at the Shawnee 50 or first time ultra runners. Um, it was really cool to see that, but it's also, I think more so than some of my other races, uh, more veterans at this race who has like long, uh, either mountain experience or long hundred mile, 50 mile experience under their belt. Um, or just like high vert runners or yeah. typically people who like people aim for that. In their training, yeah, for sure. I think that's one of the other unique aspects about this this particular course is um, a lot of times we on the East Coast get flack from West Coast runners where we don't have grueling or hard or difficult courses. Um, I think the Shawnee is a prime example of, you know, we can have very difficult and very hard courses here on the East Coast. I love it. I mean, it's... I love hearing even people that live in the East coast, their perception of Ohio is the flat cornfield state, because if they have experience with Ohio, it's because they've either driven through the upper part where you're on I 80 or I 70 and you're, and you're going through Columbus or going through uh, Cleveland or Toledo. And it is flat, a little flatter um, up there. And then you've got the West coast people who, you know, first of all, they, they just disrespect the East coast races in general, but uh, you know, they don't understand how, uh, frequent hills that are super steep is, is in my opinion after running plenty of west coast races and east coast races i think the short steep frequent hills are more damaging on your body than the long sustained smooth uphills mm-hmm. um there's just a grind uh, it's, it's almost like a fartlek for yeah. for hills you know a fartlek is when you're changing pace a lot uh in like a track workout it's just like speed work but uh and invert you're changing your incline a lot yeah as soon as you reach the summit of a, of a hill or a foothill i guess is what's considered um you're going straight down yeah and I mean, then enjoy it for 10 seconds because you're going exactly. right back down to the bottom i mean there's like one <laughs> flat section on the course and that's not even that flat <laughs> yeah though when we were uh doing the course in january we were talking about specs and uh of the 54 miles done at like a 12 hour 45 minute pace only 42 minutes of the route was considered uh, flat ground yeah. that from our watches told us. Yeah, so like the moves count app breaks it down based on your, your incline. And uh, yeah, that's crazy. So 42 minutes of the 12 and a half hours or a little more was considered flat. So well, yeah, I mean, just, when you start looking at the elevation profile, it, it really is hard to put it and you know, kind of like hard to envision what it's like because it's just like jagged saw blade, you know, yeah. and it's, it's, I, I ran down numbers. It was, it's 18 specific climbs of 300, feet or more um most of those are under a mile in distance so you got that plus the downhills of the equal of, of equal numbers and then there's probably another 20 to 30 
hills that are like 100 to 150 feet. Uh, you know, when you squish out into 54 miles, it's like, you know, your leg, it's just so punishing for your legs. I, I don't think, like the winning time this year was 929. I think it can go a lot faster because it was a bit muddy this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and some of the top competition wasn't there, but um, I think it can go a lot faster, but I think there's a limit on what the, the course record will end up being uh, in the future. I don't know what that limit is, but it's, it's not super fast. Thanks. Cool. So, yeah, I mean, I guess we can dive into like my race now and yeah, yeah. let's, let's uh, hear like, you know, hear it from the start for you. Um, and just give us kind of the rundown of your day and then like some of the highlights and stuff. For sure. So I started, uh, this race obviously after DNFing from grindstone and DNSing from the Columbus marathon. Uh, this race is kind of big for me just to get one last finish under my belt for, uh, 2018. That's really all I cared about. I didn't have any intention of keeping up with any of the fast guys. I basically just like took it super simple from the beginning and I kept joking with them like, Hey, I don't want to see you guys at any point in the raid. Don't erase, don't bonk. Cause I don't want to <laughs> catch up to you guys and pass you. But, uh, yeah, I had a lot of fun out there. This race is obviously a lot of fun. So from the start, I took it super conservative. There's a fun little downhill section for the first road mile. And it actually started snowing like at the start line, at the starting line, which was is super fast. cool because everyone, cool. the race started. It and was everyone, not in the forecast. No. Like, it was not supposed to snow, but it did. We were like, what's going on here? And it's like a magical moment just running down the pavement there as the snow was hitting uh, us in the face. <laughs> But yeah, so the race starts like a seven mile loop and uh, a few of those are trail miles. Then it hits like a road downhill section. And I was feeling pretty uh, pretty smooth through those points. I was running with uh, Alec Torgerson and Tim Crow was like bouncing around uh, at that point. We were just having some fun, chatting it up, talking about the race and other races we were doing at the time. So the first seven miles in the initial loop like went by really fast for me. Like I was surprised to hit that first aid station. And then we headed up for the next 47 miles, which is like the distinct it's, part of the loop. One, yeah, one loop, right? Yeah. From once you do that opening loop, it's you know, you're out there on it. <laughs> yeah, so you're nowhere close. Which to is a lot which is following like from a logistic standpoint uh, at the Shawnee Forest. There's the 40 mile backpack trail. After that first seven mile loop, you enter the trailhead for the backpack trail. Yes. Yeah. And you basically remain on that until like mile 38 mm-hmm. of that. So it's right. a pretty big chunk of it, and you hop back on it. So once we got back on there, like I said, it was basically just grinding through the ups and the downs. I had run the entire course basically twice. So I basically knew every turn or every up and knew what to expect after every down. So I knew what was coming around most of the turns. I was able to help a few runners around me just to stay composed and really just tell them like, hey, nothing really changes the entire day. Like for the first 10 miles, like you saw everything. Like yeah. there's no difference. It's just the same thing for the next 44 miles or whatever we were at that point. So we rolled up to the fire tower, which is like the first huge aid station, I would say. And uh, it was awesome because the fire tower, you can climb it. A few runners did that, I think. I saw, yeah, no, like no one from your front pack did. I was able to, to be there. But uh, once like Doug Usselburn, mm-hmm. he was like, I think he was the first one that I saw go up. Yeah. And like he was like probably front of the middle pack and he like set off a chain reaction because once he climbed it, yeah. uh, I started seeing like every other person or every couple of people uh start climbing it i mean it's an awesome thing it was super windy like at the fire tower it's like one of the two ridge top aid stations and this was one of them and uh the fire towers when you climb it it's it's windy on a clear day but like it was windy at the bottom of the fire tower it was just like super super cold i I was like 
all right, see you, aid station workers. Like, I'm pretty cold. I'll get on to the next one. <laughs> so that was pretty cool because that was the first time, obviously, the race started at 5 in the morning. So once we hit the fire tower, it was like mile 12, and you could take off your headlamp, and the yeah. sunrise was like rising over the top of the ridge that there. Was really cool. And yeah. that was super cool to see. So at that point, I was just continuing to truck along and keep at my nice consistent pace for the beginning miles and uh, hit mile 20, 22 or so. And that's when I first started to like, feel weird. I don't know what was happening. So I guess what I did to fix it at the time is I was like wearing leggings because it was kind of chilly that day. It was probably one of the coldest mornings of the year so far, I would say. It definitely was. I think it got down to like 24, 26. Yeah, it was the night before. It was pretty cold standing around. And you were camping, right? Yeah, so I was out there camping. And actually, that wasn't bad at all. But, okay. I didn't know how that. I haven't talked to anybody about that, actually. Like, it was... It was I was totally warm. Pretty warm? Okay, yeah. Fine. So, Keep it. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, I was wearing leggings. And I haven't worn leggings, obviously, since probably, like, February. And those were just causing me, like, some kind of pain in my legs. Like, I was, wasn't climbing like I normally am. And that's, like, one thing I kind of, like, pride myself on, I guess, is my ability to climb. So... I wasn't doing that well, and I was like, okay, I got to make a change. So once I took off my leggings, which were on like mile 23 or so, I like instantly felt better. Nice. And that was kind of like what uh, propelled me back to like after this bonk. Because I was like walking and like walking the downs and like a flat for like a two-mile section at least. So once I hit the next aid station, which was Pond Lake, I believe, mm -hmm. uh, they helped me out a lot, and I was able to get back on my way. I ran the next big uphill and uh, got over to Hangover Aid Station, which was the greatest aid station in the entire world. That you I've think that seen. was the best one? Yeah, I think it was the best one. They were all great. I'm not we, biased. We got a lot of feedback. People loved, uh, there was, you know, some of the bigger aid stations were pretty decked out, but yes. a lot of good, like what, what was Hangover? What was so special about Hangover? So Hangover, the Schwitzer family, mm -hmm. was yep. uh, camping out there. So this aid station location was in the most remote place in the entire forest. Like they camped there from Friday until like all day Saturday and Sunday just to like make sure all the runners like had their stuff. So mm -hmm. luckily for them, it was cool for us because we got to, uh, they made signs and like put signs up like one of the biggest hills, like from the bottom to the top. And I've like run the section before. I knew Michael didn't place these signs. Up. So when I was running the course, I'm like, who put these signs here? And I didn't know what they were for. And then like, obviously like once you got closer, you realize it was for their awesome aid station. And then they continued the signs down the uh for a mile or two down the road and there was like motivational funny quotes and they really had some fun with that but if i understand right i was able to to see the decorations but it was they were dressed up as uh star wars yes yeah, so the, the theme yeah so there was a darth vader costume involved <laughs> and they were all talking about the dark side and the force on the sides leading up to it because right after their aid station is the side of the dark side loop which is about a 10, a 10 mile, mile, 10 loop, mile yeah. loop and that's like the hardest section of the course mm -hmm. in my opinion and so it was really cool for them to kick off the dark side. Yeah. And, and I, I have something to say about the hangover station too. Like logistically, it was sort of a pain to include this location as an aid station because it's, it's a uh, gate access only four wheel drive roads. Um, the roads in pretty good shape, but like if it was a, a really, really bad year, uh, there'd be really challenges of getting up there. This is the second Ridge top aid station. And, uh, the Switzer family was, was awesome. Like they had two four wheel drive, vehicles there they camped there from friday till sunday but the reason that hangover had to be included was because of, of what this section of the forest signified to me and all of the shawnee state teammates that i had um the, it's a bridal trail where it's set up uh 
you've inter- you, you're on the bridal trail for about a mile before you intersect it and go onto the dark side. Um, but this hangover trail, uh, it's actually called bridal trail number five in the forest. We call it the hangover trail because, uh, legend goes like before I got to Shawnee state, you know, sometime in the early two thousands, these two guys on the team woke up one Sunday morning, hungover, of course, and they just wanted to find a new place to run. So they drove around the forest, uh, which they didn't really know very well. And they just randomly parked at this trailhead or gate and, and they ran it and, uh, they told the coach about it. And that became a tradition for the Shawnee state cross country team, which is where I was introduced to the forest for the very first time. And it was called hangover. Like it's always been called hangover. And we have some other names like place markers out there, uh, that are probably not suitable to repeat <laughs> uh, that we all named throughout the years. But, uh, you know, when, when I was talking about the race concept with my old, some of my teammates, I was like, man, we have to include Hangover as like a central aid station. Um, and so it's just like so fitting, like sort of like serendipity that like they, they, I saw a picture from the aid station. They had like welcome to Hangover on like their tent. Yeah. And I was like, that's so amazing. Like it's like they went over and beyond, but like they don't realize how important that ended up being for me. Like I was able to send that picture to all my old teammates and it's like, guys, like check out like how cool uh, this station is and like what this hangover has like meant to not only us now, like to all the runners in the race. Yeah. uh, Like, so I think that's the coolest side. Like, it's just like, it just made the whole weekend like that much better. Like all these other side stories that came along for me that might not mean much to other people, but like for me and my, my close friends that like know what that means, like it's just so cool. Yeah, no, it was, it was awesome. Man. So like, thanks to like the Switzer family uh, for, for making that happen. Yeah, no, it was, it was unbelievable. And so like once I hit that point in the race, like I had their a lovely aid station food. They had some hot chocolate coffee and uh, potatoes and some other good stuff. I'm forgetting about grilled cheese or something like that. And uh, I just was at that point totally like rejuvenized, but I wasn't moving that much faster. So at that point, I just knew I was going to like pretty much flatline the rest of the day and just like basically just bring it into the finish. Was there ever a point that you thought about dropping out? No, I I knew I couldn't drop from this race because I I have a little thing. I can't drop from a 50 miler yet. (laughs) Not like all of us, but uh, I think it was was one of those pre-crossings that we, me and Michael were sitting at where we're like, where's Wes at? Where's Wes? Where's Wes? It was sort of a long, because we were at that next aid station, the Twin Creek one. And like, uh, eventually I had to get back to the finish line. But like, there was a little like, oh man, I haven't seen West yet. <laughs> yeah, no, I, it, it never crept my, into my mind. Okay. So like I said, I've done the course twice now. Mm-hmm. So I knew that at the worst I could finish it. Even at Pond Lake when I was bonking, I told mm-hmm. you that like, I mean, like it's taken me six hours to get here. I think it was my, like mile 23 or so. Yeah, you had another 11 to go. Yeah. And, hours. I, yeah. and I was like, well, I have another 11 hours. I can walk it in at this point. Yeah. So I knew like there was no point for me. And like you weren't like from my perspective at Pond Lake at 28, you weren't the only one that was bonking. I think that was... Uh, you know, even, even at Camp Oyo at 20, at 22 or 23, um, people were really suffering. And yeah. I was like, wow, this race is putting a beat on, like on some of these guys. Cause yeah. and like I said, like there's no aid station that you come into fresh because you have the Hills, but like Pond Lick was one where like, it wasn't even like a major aid station from like a size standpoint, but people were taking their time. Uh, you know, Ethan, our buddy, Ethan mm-hmm. changed his outfit completely. Yeah. Um, stripped down uh, and that led him on to absolutely crush the second half of the race so it sounds like yeah like your your uh your clothes change and his clothes change really kind of like which is crazy because like for a 50 mile race a lot of people don't think about changing outfits yeah uh but for like like you know for this one it's definitely needed sometimes but uh 
yeah, like you weren't the only one struggling. I saw a lot of people taking their time coming into that aid station and, and then like hesitating going out. And mm -hmm. there were some drops. Like that was where we started seeing some more drops yeah. at Pond Lake. And so from there, uh, after the hangover aid station is like the part of the course that I've marked and I've, I know pretty well mm -hmm. at this point. So I was really excited because those next six miles are like my favorite six miles in the entire forest. Yeah. So I was uh, having some fun through there. Got down to Twin Creek aid station, which was at mile 38 for the first Twin Creek aid station. And that's where we saw OU Trail Running Club and everyone else that was there. And that was a lot of fun to see. That aid station was set up really cool. Uh, aid station captain, Chris Hale. Uh, plus the OU Training Club came uh, to help out. It was like, I've never seen like from one of my races, at least like a whole, like they had like four tables set up in a line with two tents, I think. And they had like several burners going with, with hot foods and, and like John, you were there. Like, yeah. was that pretty cool? All, all the PB&Js and quesadillas uh, <laughs> yeah. made to order. Definitely. Um, it was really neat. It was, a, it was a warm aid station for the cold day it was happening. it was yeah so, yeah so we were moving pretty well through there after that like it's just a five mile loop to the next twin creek mm -hmm. aid station road. and this is actually like a weird that part uh so i was doing really well just kind of keeping the same thing nothing really changed throughout my day after i changed clothes and all that but mm -hmm. descending down the that uh trail and that's the park that me and you marked the week yeah. before mm -hmm. i somehow it was a switchback and there's yeah. not that many switchbacks in yeah. the Shawnee 50, but there's a few. Yeah. And for some reason, I must have not even realized how tired I was or what was going on, but I came down a switchback and then like didn't see where the trail went. So I kept looking like off to these directions. Mm -hmm. And then like I had to like turn around. So I like was trying to find the trail. And when I turned around and did like a 360 to locate the trail, the first pink blaze I saw was pointing upwards. <laughs> and so at this point, I'm like, well, that doesn't make sense because I know I'm supposed to be descending down to the aid station. Uh -huh. I just did it last week. And then so I was like, okay, but I'm just going to continue with it because I didn't see the one on the bottom for whatever reason. And so I like head up the trail for about 10 more seconds. And then this, uh, this awesome guy comes down and he's like, what are you doing? I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> and so we were both very confused because his watch was off by like a mile or so. And uh, we were trying to do the math on like where we were and like trying to figure out like, well, did you drop down? And I was like, yeah, I dropped down. I'm like, well, I did too. And then <laughs> luckily enough, uh, he convinced me that we were supposed to go continue on the way. And uh, once we got like another hundred feet, I realized that like, oh, that's the tree, tree we cleared out last week and we're heading the right direction. But yeah. that was a super weird moment for me to especially get a little turned around on a course that I marked. <laughs> yeah, you were there like no. literally like the week before. But like from from my standpoint now as a race director, like that's definitely my fault. <laughs> like, you know, switchbacks are supposed to really kind of just like shore up with like multiple flags on the side of the switchback and then multiple assurance flags. So like I actually, one of those um, aid station workers who had hiked that section the night before or the day before told me that that could have been confusing and I had full intentions of sending somebody out there to put out more flags and it just escaped my mind like once the race actually started and I did hear like you weren't the only one there was probably like three or four that actually mentioned it to me but it was one of those things it was like two minutes max of like confusion or maybe even like a minute yeah just like oh shoot let's find that flag yeah uh, and, it, and it ended up being okay but like yeah yeah maybe. because switchbacks are so few and far between people just aren't looking for switchbacks exactly um, but eventually you know if you blew by the switchback you'd just be in the middle of the woods yeah <laughs> I mean, there was there was no trail there and i was yeah. trying to do my best to find this it this is but, not barkley <laughs> yeah after i got down to that aid station i saw some awesome uh, other people there nick boss and ian ackers and a few other people were there hanging out and yeah. 
basically just went on my way. I took a, there was a big creek crossing at the next aid station. And I really just took a nosedive into that one. I basically, I couldn't say I went head first, but I basically went head first. Can, that creek. Cannonball. Just, yeah. I mean, it was. Did you fall? I, no, I didn't fall. Oh, yeah. I like, just <laughs> deliberately jumped in it, like in the way that I could possibly get like as most wet as possible, just to like rejuvenate myself a little bit. And then. I remember Nick told me after the race, he's like, at that point, I knew you were going to finish Wesley because that was just ridiculous. But yeah, if you're having fun, you're, you're more likely to. I to instantly regretted it because I got really wet and <laughs> that wasn't a lot of fun. But after that, because it continued on my day and, uh, and eventually ended up finishing the Shawnee 50 at that last aid station. My girlfriend Molly was camping out and was with me all weekend and she made it around to like every aid station, which was awesome. Mm -hmm. And uh, she gave me my headlamp which I didn't expect to need again. <laughs> and uh, I was descending down like the last couple of miles of the course is like the same as the first couple of miles of the course. Mm -hmm. And I like, knew I was coming up on the, uh, on the last descent. And I knew that I was really close to uh, it getting dark out. And I was like, I really don't want to put this headlamp <laughs> on. So I actually refused. I told myself I'm not putting this thing on because I should have finished this race an hour ago or a little longer before. <laughs> but so I, was, I finished in the dark obviously in the, my finisher video, you can tell I was just coming up the trail of nothing, but yeah. it was a lot of fun. I actually ended up finishing the race in 12 hours and 51 minutes, I believe, which is five minutes or six minutes slower than we did it in January. <laughs> <laughs> and this is just ridiculous because we obviously took our time in January and it was just a ho-hum kind of day. But And your goal was 11, like you're sort of like Goal was eleven thirty. Yeah, no, the goal was eleven thirty for the Which race. Seems doable after running it basically in twelve forty five. Yeah. Oh, before de definitely, and like then, that was a very normal goal for you, I think. And even in a couple of weeks prior, when I did the fifty miles, they're not fifty four, but fifty yeah. it was ten forty five. Yeah. So if you just extrapolate four miles out, yeah. eleven thirty seems yeah. pretty doable. But on the race day, it was not, and I was. Really I think happy. that's cool. Like though, like it's. It's not a true mountain experience because it's not mountains, but it's the foothills of the Appalachians. And like anyone who's ran mountain races know how much weather or just other variables from the caused by the mountains can play in your race times. Um, you know, and it wasn't like the weather was crazy from a footing standpoint, but like it was cold and there was X amount of water crossings that aren't normally water crossings yes. because of the rain that we had leading up to the race. Um, you know, just all that adds time eventually yes. over the course of this very grueling kind of like weather dependent course. Um, and so, yeah, I think that we saw that a lot on, so, on finishing times. So I had a blast out there. It was, yeah. it was a lot of fun to officially finish the Shawnee 50. And I was glad to be there, man, to see you finish. And, uh, yeah, like uh, we've joked a lot about you not getting your finish lately, but, uh, it was cool. Yeah. I, I knew you'd do it as well. Uh, kind of when I saw you trudge through some of those aid stations looking rough, but like still like positive attitude. Yeah. Uh, and there was a lot of other awesome performances on the days as well. I mean, we can talk yeah, about I mean, some of those. Running through just like the, the top of the leaderboard, um, Travis Simpson uh, ended up winning. He just, you know, he told me when he finished that he didn't have any low moments. I think that's what it takes to win. Um, he wasn't in first place until, uh, I think he took first place like right after Pond Lick at 28. So he, he took the lead over halfway through. Um, Jacob Conrad, who he took the lead from, ended up finishing second about uh, 30 minutes behind him. They were both under 10 hours. And then third place was uh, Mike Cooper, Cooper. Um, who I guess this is a good segue into Mike Cooper. Um, so from a race directing standpoint and, and just like an overall uh, participant 
experience. There were five people who didn't have great experiences at the beginning of the race, um, which, which is a real shame um, on, on my end. It's, it's my fault in the end. But uh, at mile seven, that first aid station, the opening loop, you know, you do the opening loop, you come through the first aid station, and then you cross the main road, uh, Route 125, and, and you begin the 47-mile loop. Um, <laughs> the first group of five uh, got to that first aid station, which was manned by the awesome students at OU, uh, many of them who've taken my classes, and they just weren't given clear directions from me, and they weren't shown exactly what to do. And so they, they inadvertently sent the first five people back up that opening loop trail. Basically, they were, they were sending them to, to redo that seven-mile loop. Um, I arrived at that first aid station right after that fifth person got sent up there. Wasn't able to flag them down because they were too far up in the trail. And, and I was able to kind of get it corrected, get the sixth-place person, which was Ethan Sleeman and <laughs> Travis, uh, who ended up winning, um, pointed in the right direction. So, like, from that moment, like, uh, just, like, frantic mode on my end, I'm like, even though like I knew like it only affected five out of the 90 runners, um, it's still like, you don't want that to happen. Like that, that should never happen to the front pack. And it did. And it's like, it, it's such a really deflating experience because at that point you can't regain, you can't get it back to where it should be. Um, so, so what I did was I jumped in the truck. I drove the really challenging access road to where it intersected the trail uh, three miles later, hoping that hoping the whole time that they would realize what they did before they got to me, which is what happened. But it, it didn't happen until uh, they, they did 3.2 extra miles. It was a group of Travis Zipfell, who was, uh, who has ran the course. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Mike Cooper. Mike Cooper, who's ran also the ran the course. And then Zach, there was a, a Zach Marin, part of that group, uh, James Fox, who was part of that group. And then uh, uh, I forget the, the guys, the kid's name from a Boulder, Colorado who came in to do this race. But those five were the ones that went up the wrong direction. Uh, and eventually Travis and Mike sort of realized that they were doing the same loop again and that they didn't cross the road that they were supposed to cross. But it, like I said, it was 1.6 miles of the trail and then they had to turn around and it was, you know, 250, 300 feet of vert added. Yeah. Um, you know, and in the end, like, it doesn't define the race, but it, it sort of do, does define the race for those five people. Um, so like it's, it's all my fault in the end. It's one of those things that like you, you have snags as a first year event and that's a given. Um, but like this one's like kind of big and kind of stings um, because Travis and, or Travis Zipfell ended up dropping uh, and, and James Fox ended up dropping. And, and I don't want to say that they would have done great otherwise, uh, you never know, but like it would have, it would have changed the outcome. I think at some point, you know, Mike Cooper finished third. Still, he climbed his way back up in the third place, which is absolutely crazy. Zach Marin climbed his way back up in the fifth place, and yeah. they basically had over thirty minutes of a uh, of, of like time they lost. Yeah. So I was at mile eighteen or so, and that's when I saw Travis running Travis Ziffel at the time, who was in first or trying to regain. He was the first place guy, and he took off from the rest of the five that got lost. Mm -hmm. And uh, he was pushing hard to put get back up. And I saw this guy like coming behind us and I was talking to uh, Alec and I was like, 
let's not get discouraged here. Like there's this guy coming back, but he's like really pushing this uphill and we're doing just fine where we are. So no worries. And like when I got closer, we realized that I was like, Oh, it's Travis. And uh, I was like, what happened? And he told me, and I was like, obviously felt discouraged for him, but eventually I saw Mike Cooper, Zach Marin and everyone else uh, like catch back up to me. And what was it like to see who you thought was in first or top to come back from behind you? Like uh, It was definitely a weird experience. And I kind of like, not knew something was up, but like at the first aid station at uh, Fire Tower, they only told me that the leaders were up uh, 12 minutes on us. Mm-hmm. And I did the math and we were probably running like 11, 12 minute pace at that time. And I'm like, why are those guys running like 10 minute pace, 11 minute pace? Like, why are they just hanging out up there? <laughs> like having a tea party. And eventually I realized it was uh, Travis Simpson, Ethan Sleeman and yeah. Conrad, who were the three up there battling yeah. it out. And Ethan Sleeman, 20 years old, Ohio University, debut 50 yeah was uh in first place for which i'm sure was strange for, race. strange for him like he's someone who's competitive but like probably never expected to be going to lead a 50 mile race especially his debut but um, i know i wouldn't yeah but like he was certain <laughs> in that situation and i think travis simpson it, it played into his advantage obviously because he won but um yes ethan ended up finishing six which was an amazing debut still um but yeah that was kind of a crazy outcome and you know once it wore off like eventually my heart rate came down and like i accept accepted what had happened i was able to apologize to all five of those guys on the course <laughs> um which is I, I debated whether i had to apologize but like you do i think i think that's was the right thing to do and it felt right um from an rd standpoint but um you know and then i was just kind of gutted when when the two guys did end up dropping out because they were real contenders. I think, you know, Travis that feels have an amazing, who's he's had an amazing year so far and he was the one seed. Um, you know, he, he, he might've won. He might've not, who knows? He said, he told me after the race that it wasn't dropping out, wasn't related to the, the wrong turn. Um, but I like to think that he would have finished, uh, otherwise. And then James Fox, who dropped out, like it was his first day, like first time, ever running like a an ultra on this type of terrain. He'd never even seen that type of terrain before. So I don't know, like, you know, I'm not going to like, go as far as saying like, Oh, he would have finished in that top five if he didn't make the wrong turn because like it's a long race yeah. and, and those guys who finished top five deserve a top five still, in my opinion. Definitely. Um, but like, yeah, it's just one of those like situations of the race. And like, like I said, like half the people there probably has no idea that happened. Um, and then was it, affecting their experience but uh it's definitely was like from my perspective as a race director and and like john was kind of there in the midst of all of it uh with the camera and some of the people that were like uh with me uh doing the course rundown um (laughs) kind of saw the ugly side of of race directing and 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 the poor uh volunteers that uh kind of got my definitely got the blood flowing at five or six o'clock in the morning or something like that six a.m it's one of those things too like Michael come and like just running back and forth. I'm like, what's going on? And then I realized that the, you know, they had gone up the wrong direction. And I was like, it's one of those things too, like where the A station tent was set up, you know, just a a pretty small water stop too, uh, was set up uh, literally like a hundred feet from where it should have been. But it it was kind of like a really instrumental fork uh, in where the runner should go. And uh, it was definitely crucial. Yeah. (laughs) Um, but yeah, like like I said, like from at the end point, I should have either been there, tell them where to set up, or had somebody completely show them X marks the spot. This is where you're setting up, and this is where you're telling them to go. Um, if it was daylight, I think it would have been way different. Yeah. If 
it was a second year event, like next year, it's not going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's, it's what happened. And you just got to roll with the punches, I think sometimes. And, uh, eventually it was moving on to the next issue. Yeah. Uh, which luckily it wasn't very many issues the rest of the day on my part. But, um, I was thinking that like, if I was just up in the front pack with them or if they would have just hung out for like a couple of minutes, like, and just wait till I got there. I know that I don't know how many minutes back at that point I was, but I would have been able to like, Hey, this way guys. <laughs> kind of a funny story from that era is, uh, Adam Wise, who was doing his first ultra, uh, he he would have been in that front pack, but he had tripped and fell yes. like at mile, I don't know, four or five. Mm-hmm. And uh, it took him a while to kind of get up from that fall, which put him like a bit back and, and he was saved. Yeah. <laughs> like he didn't, he wasn't with that top five pack. He was able to kind of get directed on the right way at that point. Uh, unfortunately, he, he ended up dropping off too. Um, but, but yeah, like it was just a crazy unfortunate situation in the end it's something i'll learn from and, and not repeat is there any other things that had a i went bad that day or any other issues not much i mean there's a there's a moment like right after that <laughs> just to keep the the heart flowing where i went back up to the lodge got some quick cell phone reception i got a message from the the fire tower station crew which was the mile 12 and they were like hey where's our water <laughs> and i'm like oh, oh crap <laughs> did I not give them water? <laughs> I was like all these moving parts. And like, I think in the back of my mind, I thought that aid station already had jugs. Like the, the people working, I brought their own jugs, but it was actually the next aid station who had their aid station or had their jugs already. It, it ended up being okay because like we got there plenty of time before runners had got there <laughs> in the end. But it's like, once again, like, I was like, Don, get in the truck. We're going to the, uh, like Don was our water. Like he had the water in the back of his truck. Like once again, happened to kind of speed through the forest roads uh, <laughs> to get to fire tower to give him water. But like after that, I, I, I really don't think there was a point where I was pressured. I was able to kind of like spectate a little bit, <laughs> which was really cool. And just kind of like help the runners at aid stations, help the aid station workers. And then eventually kind of like, an hour and a half or so before the, the finishers came up, I was kind of get the get the finish line set up and ready for runners to come through. And from there, it was just like uh, from basically two o'clock until ten p.m. Yeah, yeah, people all the way up to the cutoff, but yeah. luckily we didn't have to cut anybody off, which was a surprising, in my opinion. Seventeen hours was the cutoff, uh, and and it was originally set at sixteen hours until that January run, four miles extra. Um, I wasn't going to change the course distance to meet the need for the rip, for the cutoff. So I just simply changed the cutoff for the course. Uh, and that's sort of the philosophy of, of my race record too. Is like, I'm not going to alter the course in a way that's going to make it make no sense. You know, I want the course to make sense. And people were like, Oh, why was it 54 miles? Why wasn't it just 47 or, or, you know, why, why couldn't you have made that first loop, uh, you know, three miles to make it a, a firm 50. But, uh, it's just like, I think the course flowed perfect way and that's the way I wanted it. Yeah. <laughs> ultimately I had the uh, ability to, to make the, I mean, I could make the course 68 miles if I want to. And as and, the <laughs> runner and the participant from the race, like I love knowing, cause like you, after the January run, I think it was initially like labor with like the Shawnee 50, mm-hmm. but like, and you thought it was 50 miles or close to it. You didn't know 51, 52, or maybe 48. But after that, run we did like you basically established like hey it's 54 mile mm-hmm. run and you put it like everywhere and that yeah, was awesome everyone, everyone knew it was 54 it's one of those things too like where 
over the years of, of the Shawnee State Forest, uh, they do a lot of logging out there. They do a lot of reroutes. Uh, like I think at one time, based on like the mileages that I first sort of calculated, based on like the maps, it probably would have been closer to 50. But after they sort of did some work, since those maps were published, it, they extended some of the trails. They kind of worked around some plots of land, and it, and it did increase the mileage based on like all the maps and publications where I sort of like pre and like initially got some of the numbers. And then like when we ran it, like I said, like I got 54.2. Mm-hmm. I don't think I saw a single person that ran a race get 54. I think it was all between like 33 or 33. <laughs> <laughs> some of the watches that died right now, but uh, 53 and 54. I even saw some like 52 and a half. And you know, it's just GPS air. Uh, there's probably better ways to, to get course specs, but uh, I just basically took my GPS spec, overlaid it onto some like other mapping services, and and then just use use that method to get the distance. And all the aid stations are right on. Like, exactly, it's like a GPS like marking like you came into and like you were at least mine like was in like within like point oh five or point. And that's one of those things like from a trail race, it's pretty expected. Like at Western States, like the most prestigious hundred miler, like my watch. I ended up getting the hundred mile distance, but like all the different, like, you know, you're just off, like you're just off a mile or two or yeah. like a mile or half a mile at least every station. And even, even grindstone for me, I think I dropped it mile 23, 22, but I think my watch only got 20. Exactly. So, <laughs> so it's just one of those things. Like it's not a road marathon. We are getting USATF certified. Uh, <laughs> if anyone's want to certify the Shawnee course and be my guest, but uh, <laughs> interesting course to use a wheel on. <laughs> Or I don't know, a string or something. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, like that. Yeah, like crazy. Let's talk about your seeds. You okay. did pretty well on the female side, right? Yeah. So like some of the fun we have uh, before races, uh, I'll seed out the top ten men and women. I was way off on the men. Uh, too many drops. Uh, those guys didn't didn't live up to my expectations. But uh, no, just just joking. But the women, like it was. A pretty competitive women's field, in my opinion. Uh, Mika Thews ended up winning, and I gave her the two seed. Uh, Amanda Debevic, mm-hmm. Debevic uh, was second. I gave her the one seed, and I think the uh, was, who was third. Uh, Alicia Roberto was third overall, and she was the third seed. So uh, I think this top six seeds were correct from what I see of them, from what they finished in different order, but. Uh, yeah, the women field was was very strong, and that was one of those cases where like Mika, who won, she's ran several two hundred mile races. She's experienced. Amanda Debevic just came off the Grindstone hundred. She was a very experienced runner. Crystal Shinowski, who's won Thunder Bunny, uh, our race twice, who's also ran Grindstone a month ago, she got sixth place, I think. So it was one of those cases where like the women's field was very much like an experienced crew, and I think the men's side was less experienced, which led to more drops. Um, you know, Travis has experienced uh, both Travis's, the one that dropped is, you know, it wasn't due to lack of experience for him, but like a couple of the ones that did drop who were seated in the top 10 probably was due to lack of experience, just kind of getting thrown out there in, a, in an environment they weren't used to. Um, so I think I only got like two or three of the top 10 men, like even finishing the top 10. So I was like, Oh, <laughs> next year. Yeah. So it was next year. Do you want to talk about maybe plans or is yeah there, um, there, there's, there's a lot of talk about maybe extending that some more to some two weeks i've heard that question yeah people like it's funny like i loved hearing the reaction from from people that they finished like some people hated it 
some people are like, you should have finished this up the road mile instead of like this very straight up finish on the trail. Uh, Don't change that. Like, just like you get <laughs> stuff from both sides, but like some people are like, oh man, imagine if this was a two mile or a, a two loop hundred mile course. Uh, that's not going to happen like in 2019. So don't think, don't get your hopes up or, or don't get too discouraged because that's, that won't happen in 2019. Um, but you know, it's like on my radar for sure. Like if, if I'm going to put on a hundred mile race at some point in my race directing career, um, first, like I need to make sure, uh, it's not overpressing volunteers or, or like, um, it's not overpressing me. Like I love doing it, but like, you know, you do need like basically double the volunteers, um, have split shifts and stuff for volunteer positions. But, um, it, it would be amazing <laughs> if it was a two loop, 22,000, uh, feet of vert course in Ohio, like people would be like, are they on a different planet? But, um, <laughs> Which Ohio are we talking about? <laughs> or it's also like the, the possibility of of making a single loop hundred miler like i mm -hmm. think that's doable in the shawnee forest because you know if if you haven't been there to run all the trails there are so many trails on the outside of this loop and then there's so many trails on the inside of this loop that weren't even utilized Touched. um also you know there's like 120 miles of bridal trail and forest service road that weren't used that much either um it wouldn't be 20,000 feet of bird if I used some of these access roads because there'd be longer stretches of, of like flatter or gradual downhills, but like it's possible. And that's something that I'll consider and look into for future years. Uh, but for 2019, the Shawnee 50 will take place in very similar, uh, setup. It, it might be, I haven't, like I'm, I'm putting in some of the initial like permits and stuff right now, but it, it may be a date change. Uh, so be just be on the lookout. Like I hope to have, like registration open the same time as I did this past year, uh, January 1st. Um, but it could be, I'm looking at like possibly if not the same date, um, up in October, a couple, a couple weeks ahead. And just, I think that's just due to, um, lots of different reasons that don't need to be going into, but like you weigh a lot of different options for, for moving a race date. Um, I love this date of, of the second weekend of November, but there's also a very busy calendar of races that same weekend, there's also other activities that happen in the forest that could dictate uh, race dates and so forth. Um, so yeah, anyway, it's going to happen for sure. I've already basically got like everyone at the park in the forest loved it. Uh, all the forest managers and, and the law enforcement people out there, they weren't like super involved, but like they were there sort of like looking from the periphery, like, all right, making sure no one's doing anything illegal. But like <laughs> they, they were like a, such a huge help in terms of like, uh, off, obviously okaying the event to begin with, but also just like providing some services that like we couldn't do otherwise as volunteers. Um, so like they're, they're cool with it and they want to see it happen. They think it's crazy <laughs> as like an outsider, like not being in the ultra running scene. Uh, so now they're exposed to it. And I think, I think it's just going to like, you know, maybe I'm, I'm really ambitious with, with this race, but like, I think it's going to grow a lot, not just from the expect, um, participants numbers but also from people from the area volunteers wanting to be involved in the shawnee 50 and i would i i think that's amazing um so yeah yeah i know a lot of people i was talking to like were bummed just because this year they had something else on their radar for mm -hmm. like this weekend but i know that like in the future they definitely have this race on their uh on their a plan for next year mm -hmm. and i'm excited for a lot of new people to experience this race coming back and I'm, oh, I'll definitely be back. Yeah. I gotta best my time. So yeah, it'll be, it'll be fun. What, I, what place were, did you end up finishing? I don't even know. Uh, 25th, 25th. 25th. And I actually had the 22nd bib. So it's pretty close. You were kind of really close okay. on that too. So, okay. so I think I'm next not. year I'm just going to seat out the race and, you know, like Mika finished top 10. Like, 
I'll just seed her just like overall, like don't even separate men and women. Cause like women will definitely finish pretty high up against any men's oh, field. Yeah. At Especially race. at that course. Yeah, I mean, for sure. And they did really well. So, yeah. So I think also too, like people like to, a lot of people will wait for a first year event to sort of happen yeah. to see if it's reputable because like there's so many races that aren't necessarily reputable um, that it might die out after one year or get a bad rap. And obviously like if you're one of those top five people, like you might not be super, super thrilled, but hopefully like I know a lot of those guys personally and hopefully it's, it's like no big deal from a coming back standpoint, but yeah, maybe who knows? Yeah. I come back with a vengeance next year to win. True, they got some a chip on their shoulder, possibly. Want to get that off? Yep. Don't know where to go. And John, like you were there all day. Uh, I think I, I think you should get, at least talk a little bit about your experience. Uh, what were you doing out there, and and uh, how how did you think? <laughs> well, um, so I got there bright and early. I think I left Athens around two a.m. and I ended up showing up <laughs> around three thirty in the morning um, to a very very cold start. Um, but I think it 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 shows the the planning that went involved because when I showed up, like, I mean, it wasn't like, what do we do? It was, the truck was open or the trailer was open. The, the, everything was laid out. It was all good to go. Like you had the, everything was smooth. Cause like you said, you have, you know, those previous years of experience now under your belt, race, race directing, you moved up to that. It's bigger distance. Um, but my main goal obviously was filming and kind of capture everything that I could have. Um, and so I, you know, was able to get, from my perspective, a really good shots of um, the incidents happening, um, the follow up on that, on that, on how how work that worked. But we also got to see all of the you know main leaders. We pretty much yeah. made it to almost every single aid station, mm -hmm. I think. Yeah, um, and got to see all of the probably the top ten come through on each one of those. So John, um, just kind of a quick aside, like John was representing Ridge Runners, our show, as a as a filmer, basically mm -hmm. videographer, photographer. Um, so like me like you know we work together with this endeavor but like also race director to you like thank you because you put out so much coverage it's still going to be rolling through in the in the coming weeks that like most races don't have that and yeah. and i think that's also something that's unique about the shiny 50 is like this sort of like has an old school feel to it but also has some of these new new feel things uh with media coverage with with photo and, and video and like so thank you for helping put the shiny 50 on the map as well so how did all that shooting go um it went pretty well i mean i think uh uploading it was i think 57 videos for all of the finishers because they all some people came in in pairs and mm -hmm. single um and i think i think from almost the moment i got there that was like the goal yeah i was like i wanted to get footage of everybody mm -hmm. not just the top leaders which is ha what happens in most cases right. and, and i'm me in my running world, I'm not, I'm not the front pack person. Mm -hmm. I'm a mid packer, mid backpacker. Like I don't, I don't finish top. I just kind of run to have fun. And I don't normally get this, the same experience at races because right. I'm, when I finish, they've already done the reward ceremony and, and everyone's been, you know, who was there gone. Um, so I think it was important for me to catch, try to catch everybody coming through. And yeah. a lot of those families don't necessarily get to make it down or travel the distance mm -hmm. to come see that kind of thing. Um, and especially when you don't know how long a race is going to take, like, yeah, come ask your parents to come sit around for 12 hours, right? Because you're like, <laughs> I could, I could come in between 10 hours or if something goes wrong, cut off. I don't know. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so we, yeah, I stood up there all day in the cold and with you and stuff like that and got all those shots, um, and uploaded them all and was really happy with that final product. And we should hopefully have a video 
yeah. coming out soon. Coming soon. Wes, Wes is going to edit that together. It should be fun. This is not my part for Ridge Runners, guys. It's just like, <laughs> I'm here, but like they're doing all like the fancy work behind the scenes. I'm just a face. <laughs> I, I just really hope that everyone enjoyed it and all those videos. And I think from my perspective so far, it seems like the feedback has been I positive. Mean, I enjoyed it from, from my experience, like kind of getting to go back and look at, like you said, all 75 finishers of the 90. Uh, very good finishers, right, by the way. Uh, all their videos and like, you know, like I, I forget all that stuff because it's happening so fast. I'm thinking about all the race director duties, but like I was able to sort of go back and look at some of the, the videos of, of people I know and people that I thought uh, had some compelling stories. Um, yeah, like it's really cool. Like as a runner myself, like how often do you get a finisher's video at an ultra? You know, like it's very rare. And so thanks for that. But also just like having you up there, there's like a core group of us, like my sister who was doing the timing, um, myself and you and, and Don for most of the day and JB for most of the day. And all, as all the aid station workers came back in, it's like, even though it was so cool out there, there are a lot of us out there kind of braving elements waiting for all the finishers all through the night. And it got cold. It did. <laughs> I, think but, I, I think the coldest it was with the fire tower though. I think that I was in a pure shiver up there. I, I mean, I went up to the top just to take, take a view, which was like absolutely gorgeous up there. Yeah. And like, yeah. Yeah, that was cold. <laughs> That's kind of a ruthless. Well, that was actually the coldest part of the day because the forecast for that Saturday was, um, I think it was like you know 27, 26, and then it got 8 a.m. Basically, when we were driving through there, mm -hmm. it was the coldest part of, of the the two day stretch there. So it was like down to 24 at 8 a.m. with the wind chill, which was probably like 15, which is not what we're used to. Yeah, stunk, man. <laughs> Um, one of the other things I found interesting was doing all those videos. Um, I realized that it's going to be really hard for me to ever want to run this race until, <laughs> unless I find somebody to take over the filming piece because yeah. that's, that's something that we don't, I don't want to drop next year and I don't yeah. want to see it go away. I don't want to have it be on the inaugural yeah. race and then not show up next year. So yeah, it's, it's now that it's happened, it, like you said, like it's, it's hard to drop that part of it. And like, I've been to races, low key races that like you finish and like, there's either one person there. Like I've been to races actually like when it's really cold where I've finished and there's no one there and they have to go into the building and be like, Hey, uh, I finished. <laughs> but, but like, I think like I, I make it a point at all my races to, to try to be there. Um, me and my sister, like she's, she's done the timing for basically every single race I've put on. Uh, she's always there, but like just give them a high five, give them a hug. Like these runners, like they might not have family there. They need somebody that to be there. You know, some of them are broken down. Some of them are elated. Some of them are laying on the floor in pain, but saying, this is awesome. <laughs> um, but like, I, I think like my, like I look at my job as a race director and like, I, I really respect that position um, in a way. Like I want to be up front, but also in the background at the same time with some of the behind the scenes stuff. But like in the end, I want to be there, like giving everybody a high five or a hug um, and being the first person to contact. I think you made I think you were there for everybody but one you were in the bathroom for one commission. <laughs> I tried to make those bathroom breaks very time time. It's so hard though. You don't know who's coming. Up <laughs> exactly. There's no idea to know. Like there were some set. Like there were several like 25, 30 minute gaps, um, especially early, where it's like I should have took advantage of those times. But like, you know, my wife just like shout out to my wife who like was kind of bringing me hot food throughout the the day, and like my my daughter and son was there, and like luckily the lodge too, like which was a great finishing venue in my opinion. Um, so they had like hot coffee ready for all the runners and that was something they just do, uh, you know, f for free. Um, and just like they had hot showers, right. Waiting for runners. Yeah. I know people were so There was happy. a fire. 
yeah, fireplace in the lodge. Awesome. Uh, and they had a restaurant that some people use on a lounge so people could get beer and post, post, uh, race, you know, beverages. food and beverages, <laughs> um, which I love, I'd love to like continue that relationship and, and grow that and have it more of a festive type finish, which it sort of was anyway, uh, without doing anything special, but like, yeah, it was, it was cool. I yeah. loved it a lot. Like the lodge for, for anyone who's not visited the Shawnee state park, um, it's, it's, in my opinion, one of the coolest lodges in Ohio or, or either that I've been to, um, overlooking the whole forest, huge timber frame, uh, lobby with two fireplaces, nice leather couches. Uh, people were passed out on those couches after the race. Too. It was like a war zone. Non-biased. It's the best park and lodge in all of Ohio. Like that's kind of like what puts it like this race. Like, I mean, obviously I've run all around Ohio and I'll make this kind of short, but, uh, <laughs> I mean, there's nothing like it. I mean, yeah. you can go to like up north. I, that's where I'm from, like Cleveland area where I'm from. There's nothing there. You can go a little south, Cambridge, nothing there. I mean, yeah. you can go all a different bunch of other places and it's just not the same. Like I've done yeah. a bunch of races and been all around the state to all different parts and there's nothing like the Shawnee Forest. And then the lodge is also super awesome. So the lodge is like, it's just every time I go in there, it's, it's, it has this distinct smell. Like it smells like it was just built, even yeah. though it's, it's, I don't know how, it's pretty old. Um, but like it smells just so rustic. That's kind of what they're obviously going for. But uh, John, if you want to run the race next year, uh, I'll just I'll I'll take over the filming duties. I'll win the race <laughs> and then film myself coming in, and then I'll take over everyone else. That's so how that's gonna work next if year. That's right? if that's how you what you want to do. We'll just just let me you'll, know. You'll run like a nine and a half hours in January for the adventure race this year. <laughs> and then you'll run a thirteen hour. <laughs> you okay. know me so well. <laughs> cool. Thanks. Anything else to add? I, I, I feel like. So. There's some things that I probably didn't talk about. I mean, from a race, I mean, there's so many things that I could talk about, but don't need to bore the audience on all the mundane tasks. Like, let's do real quick future stuff. So like any, I guess, what do you have planned for the future for yourselves or races and what's going on? So for me, I'm taking a couple of months actually to train for a race. Kind of crazy. I don't normally do that. Normally I take Wait, like, you're training for a race? Yeah, that's weird. I don't <laughs> normally do that. I normally take like a week or two to just gear up for it. But uh, I'm taking some time to train for Mount Mitchell uh, Challenge 40 miler in February. So that's next on my radar. And then from there, I'll kick off into my summer season. Summer season. Right. Um, from a personal r racing standpoint, I'm also doing the Mount Mitchell 40 miler. See you there. Yeah. I'll see you there somewhere. <laughs> um, but there's a whole, there's another group of us, uh, traveling to do that. Travis Zitfeld, Nick Voss, uh, Alex Jackson, Paul Bart, Paul Barty, the 40 miler. Uh, but there's, yeah, there's a lot of guys doing the, the marathon distance, but like Mount Mitchell challenge, uh, kind of a historic race down in North Carolina up to the highest point of the East coast. So kind of fitting for us Ridge runners. Yeah. Um, but I'm, I'm a, I've considered getting on the track this uh, winter. Is that a good idea? Or not? <laughs> you go for it. I'll let you do your thing. But I haven't ran a track race since uh, 2011. I'm excited to see your track. It probably won't happen. I say this every year, but uh, from a race directing standpoint, um, SEOTR, uh, we'll get back on our spring schedule with uh, iron furnace going into its sixth year. April 6th, uh, Thunder Bunny 50K, 25K, 12K, May, shoot, 12th, 11th, one of those, the second weekend of May. Uh, registration for both of those races are open. Um, and Furnace also has a 4.5 mile race. Yes, 4.5 mile race. Great. Those two races are just great for, um, like Iron Furnace is super challenging, but it's great for entry level as well, like mm -hmm. if you're doing your first trail race. Yeah. Because um, it's not an intimidating distance, whether you're doing the 4.5 or the 13.1. But, um, 
And then uh, I, I can't talk to, talk too much about this, but uh, there's stay there's, tuned. Stay tuned for a new race that SEOTR may put on. Might be in March, and it might be a little obscure. Uh, <laughs> so I don't, yeah, I can. Yeah. I can't go any further than that, but uh, we'll save you guys the, uh, I keep, the fun details. I, I swore to Wes that it'd be up um, the registration for that race if it happens. <laughs> <laughs> will be up um, in two weeks. Give them a month, but we'll yeah, see. It's going to be before two months. We'll, we'll post as, as soon as we can officially say something. It, it's going to be a, a, a interesting race. So if you're watching, if you made it this far in that <laughs> podcast, you can definitely stay tuned for that. Get excited, and, and SEOTR will be posting uh, stuff about that if that happens. In addition, you can also find uh, the Shawnee video coming soon. Stay tuned for that. That should be an awesome little recap video capturing the whole day. So if you like listening to the podcast, wait till you watch the video because it'll be just as entertaining, hopefully. Yeah, so. and and as always, find us on YouTube. That's if you're watching us there, but also Apple iTunes. Google Play for podcasts, form. Also, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook at Ridge Runners. Ridge Runners. So hit us up, guys. We're having fun doing this. It's uh, we're what two months in, mm-hmm. putting out weekly content uh, every now and then with the trail talk. But now you know whenever something arises. But uh, looking forward to more stuff like this. We really enjoy it. And if you have any topics or people or races that you want us to cover, uh, we'll consider it. Yeah, let us know your suggestions, guys. We look forward to hearing from you. Cool. Cool. Very good. Cool. Yeah. Until next time, Trail Talk, Ridge Runners.